Welcome to the podcast, Grant. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So before we jump into the bulk of our conversation, a question I'm asking everybody is, how did you originally become interested in being a music therapist? That's a fun story. (laughs) Um, So I was very involved in music all throughout high school, but before that, I was super interested in biology and sciences. And then the more I explored um, both like science and music, I wanted to be involved in some sort of helping profession. But as I went throughout high school, I got more invested in music than I was in science. It just really fueled me a lot more. So I didn't want to give up music essentially it was what kind of led me to start searching for music options and careers. So I just kept searching for something that would allow me to kind of have that security and just, I guess, joy um, that music kept bringing me. I got lucky um, when I did uh, the PSAT, a few of the schools that I was interested in all had music therapy programs. So mm-hmm. at the time I was just like, well, I guess I could look into this career called music therapy. And it sounded interesting. But I couldn't wrap my head around it. And then when I was a junior in high school, I had a really transformative experience myself personally with a specific song that was playing at the time. It just came on the radio and it just reflected so many things that were happening in my life. And I felt a catharsis in that moment with that, Mm. just because of that one song and that musical experience. And that is what started the more serious inquiry into music therapy being able to have something that was so important to like my journey. And Mm. if I could learn more about how this can be used in a way that could be helpful, just made me more interested. And the rest is kind of history. Awesome. That's super cool. So today we're going to talk about musical identity. Um, When you think about musical identity, like what are some reference points you're thinking of? What's the paradigm? Musical identity is an individual or a group psychological basis for musical thinking, uh, musical behavior, and musical development. There are identities in music, and those are different socially defined aspects given cultural roles and other musical categories, and are also different identities that we associate with various types of music and our willingness to associate ourselves with music or through music. For music and identity, that's how we use music as a resource for developing other aspects of our own individual identities. So that could be music helping us as a resource to develop and explore gender identity, racial or ethnic identity, sexuality, and disability. So what is the difference between identity in something and like preference for something? So there is a relationship and interaction between musical identity and music preference. They both can determine how we interact with music. The main difference is that musical identity focuses more on why music is important to a person or to a group um, and the role that music plays in this person's life or the role that it plays within a culture. And music preferences are more about what we're like and what we're drawn to. So that can be artists, genres, different timbres and aesthetics. 
and they're also less committed to than musical identity. A good way to explain that is, or to conceptualize it, would be you may have a favorite genre of music and people, when they hear certain genres, may associate that with you, but it doesn't mean that you only like that genre of music. You can like different songs from different genres, but that might not be like the style of music that you would say really is a core component of who you are or represents who you are. So what are the factors that are influencing how your identity is shaped, especially as you go through the lifespan? I'm thinking about a really young child, a toddler, preschooler, even like elementary age student may not have agency over what music they're listening to. And then that changes as you move through adolescence and then into adulthood. So do we shed different identities as we're moving through life? Not to say that those early things didn't shape you or didn't influence you, but what do you think about that? There's definitely the pattern that you described. There's definitely a relation to that. And I think that's mainly because there's a there really is this chance of social exploration. And as we know, in most cases, that is a time in your life where your identity is very much based on social interactions beyond just your immediate family. So I think that's kind of where the very important stages of identity development kind of are discussed more so. And like a lot of the focus, I would say, is placed, mm. especially with like musical development and musical identity. When you think about the typical education program, a lot of times once you get to middle school or high school in that age range, ensembles become a lot more selective and Mm -hmm. not really just general music anymore. So that distinction, primarily like with an identity in music of I'm a musician, becomes really secure and solid around that age. And you are still doing that in relation to the other people that you're around. Mm. How does that inform what happens in the context of a therapeutic relationship because we say that we bring all of who you are into therapy that includes a therapist and also the client or the client's family what does that mean for you i have so much interest in that question and i feel like there isn't really a secure answer in terms of what would be like a textbook definition or a textbook answer? I don't care about textbooks. Okay, there we go. (laughs) In my personal experience, I would say, I think a lot of that really is a way in which we explore and validate each other's humanities in that situation. Mm. Um, When we're bringing ourselves into a therapeutic space and if somebody is sharing music that is so important and intimate and integral to who they are, like your way of engaging with that music says a lot and it sends a lot of messages and how you respond to it and I think about that a lot because when I started my actually right before my internship I was really curious in this topic because it really seemed like music therapists in settings especially working with like disabled folks were very much always bringing predetermined music constantly and there wasn't a lot of exploration Mm. and as we learn about each other and figuring out how to communicate and what those things are, some really amazing things can happen. And I think that exploration is beyond what is typically expected 
of the beginning music therapist mm. um, and just being able to understand and to really to really be curious enough to want to learn about a person really shifts a lot of the dynamics in a therapeutic relationship in a way that I think is a lot more equitable. Mm. What is that, the exploration, and I'm assuming kind of in early sessions when you're still forming that relationship, what does that look like? Does that mean like asking the client to bring music to session? Is the therapist bringing stuff to session? I think it's a little bit of both. I'm hesitant to say it only happens in the beginning because I feel as if, especially with folks that aren't necessarily given the opportunity to express their agency um, Mm. in the relationship, you don't have the capacity necessarily to start exploring as soon as you begin working. I also think too, like the level of intimacy that this is may not always be appropriate as a start thing to do. Mm. Um, My primary instrument was voice. And I firmly believe that your voice is so intimately connected with you and the response that you get, especially in like music programs, like the critiques that could happen, they don't feel like an instrument's being critiqued as much as it's you being critiqued. And I think like having that perspective of me being a musician, me being a singer, I had this understanding of myself and how intimate sharing music is, especially my music. So I don't necessarily, I don't make that an expectation when I'm working with folks. I let them know that if they want to share, they're welcome to, but the access that you grant me is all for you. And that may mean that some people may not explore in a way that they understand exploration to be. Yeah, that's a good point. Because the whole context of a person impacts everything. How as a therapist do you determine like how much you need to know about somebody's musical identity in order to be like trauma-informed, to like respect culture? First and most importantly, I think that there needs to be an acknowledgement and awareness of a music therapist's own musical identity Mm. and how that is impacting how they practice. It creates, in some instances, some type of, it can create a type of bias in how you present yourself musically. Mm. And if you're more secure in something, that might be what you're always kind of falling back on in terms of like your foundational ability and skill set. And that's not necessarily a good or bad thing. But if you know that about yourself and you're able to explore those different things um, and just to be aware of them, I think you'll be more prepared (laughs) to be able to receive that information about somebody else's musical identity Mm, that makes sense yeah to follow up a little bit more too on the initial question I don't really know necessarily if you need to know everything about somebody's musical identity as long as you're willing to be open curious and validating and affirming of that because identities are so much more complex than a checklist and they're all so unique and they can continue to evolve over time and it could be changing during that yeah um and it wouldn't be i don't think it would be fair to expect something that's static as you're trying to understand this about someone 
uh, be it yourself as a clinician or the people that you're working with. I think just being able to really honor whatever it is that is being willingly shared in that space is more important. Mm. Can you tell us about the cultural factors that go into like that identity development? So music in itself as a medium reinforces a lot of cultural values through styles and sounds. Mm. A good example of this would be folk songs. They are, I call them musical snapshots. I don't know if anybody else would agree with that term, but um, they really, like, they carry a lot of cultural value and importance, and not only in terms of the lyrics that are sung or the images that may be portrayed in them, but also, like, traditional instrumentation, melodic styles, harmonic styles. Musically, it represents so much from specific cultures. In a more modern, like, contemporary example, I think the most perfect one is Beyonce's Lemonade the way in which how it has really showcased her experience as like a black woman in America. Mm. And also like in different parts, it showcases like regional aspects and national aspects. There's a lot of different representation um, also within like cultural representation that may also be unique to specific areas and also just different professional aspects of her life as well. But yeah, there's a lot of, (laughs) there's a lot of different ways. Yeah. I think this kind of ties into something else that I wanted to ask is like, what are the assumptions about musical identity that could lead to oppressive practice? And I think something that you were talking about with Lemonade is that there's a, a lot of representation between like Beyonce's life and like these things that she's experiencing, which like she created the whole thing. So like she can do whatever she wants. Um, She's also Beyonce. But I think there's a lot of room for anybody to do like an external evaluation of what they think somebody is or what they think their identities are and then start assigning like factors to that person or what types of music they think Mm -hmm. they will like. Yeah. And I think you really highlighted one of them, one of my main concerns when it comes to the assumptions is that there's this very linear process of maybe historic, maybe it's based in some type of reality or based in some type of context or experience, but it's really linear and you're basing it just off of something that may not even be true for the person that you're interacting with. Mm -hmm. Um, And those assumptions really limit your capacity to actually engage and have a meaningful relationship. Like if you don't have a meaningful relationship, what's, what's the point? of being in therapy like I I firmly believe that your relationship is the most important part and it's so vital in this if I'm limiting a person that I'm working with and I'm not being curious I'm really not allowing somebody to be part of a relationship I Mm -hmm. have like forced them into a specific role and position and like that's what you're going to do I'm not allowing for there to be creativity. I'm not allowing for their agency. I'm very much just reinforcing this hierarchical um, positioning of like me being an expert over your experience as opposed to co-creating something with who I'm working with. Um, how do you see this played out in music therapy and disability? So my interest in this started, like I said, because of working with disabled folks across the lifespan. Yeah, And I believe that 
they know what they want in terms of like being in music. So the simplest example that I can give is fostering their love of performance, if that's what they're engaged in doing and that's what they want to do. Mm. Um, and not having them always be the recipient of therapy. So that might involve like doing a performance. Maybe they want to be composers. I know I'm like focusing on just like one specific uh, type of music and identity right now, but um, allowing for there to be an artistic realization of who they are, if that's what their desire is. And I think it lends itself very beautifully to community practices because it allows us to not just be the only musicians that are involved and being the only avenues for music in mm. disabled folks' life. So being able to help foster more accessible like ensembles or accessible music viewing experiences, whatever that may be. But I think, especially within this context, I think music therapists have a really unique capacity to kind of serve as a bridge between these two worlds and to know that it's, it's okay to be that bridge. Mm. Like a really important thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have any like additional thoughts, closing thoughts, things that we haven't talked about yet that you'd want to share? I will say that there are, in more recent years, there's been a lot more interest in musical identity, especially within the field of music therapy. This past conference, there have been quite a few presentations about it. And I know that there have been some master's level um, and other thesis projects that have gone out for more just discussion and interest in this. And that's really exciting. I definitely don't want to claim expertise or <laughs> being yeah. the first person to have thought about that by any means. But I'm really excited that this is of interest. And I, I'm looking forward to reading some of the work that's going to come out of all of these studies. I'm just really excited yeah. that this is becoming just more interesting, I guess. That there's more like literature yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, for our listeners that want to know more, where can they find you? What are you doing? Where are you at? So I'm part of quite a few different projects. Um, some people may say that I'm part of too many projects, but I'm really excited for the ones that I've been recently working on with a group of people. I am one of the rotating co-hosts for Clinical Populations, and that is a podcast where we discuss songwriting and the use of songs in music therapy and clinical practice. We have our podcast available on Apple Podcasts. We have it on Spotify and any other place that you can find podcasts. We also have a website and um, sure that will be linked. We'll link it. We'll link it. Don't worry. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Um, I'm also part of a music technology collaborative and we worked on something called the Tech Nook, um, which is a music technology resource that has been designed by music therapists, music therapy educators, and other music professionals to serve as more of a resource and be able to give a lot more context and assistance for music technology use and practice. Awesome. And your Instagram. You can follow me at ghales underscore mtbc. Great. I will link all the things. Do not worry. I will link all the things in the episode notes. 
And if you'd like to know more about the Music Project, please visit our website at ssnsamcsandcatmusicproject.org. On our website, you can find transcripts for every podcast episode. We encourage you to connect with us on social media at SC Music Project. On all social media platforms, never miss notifications for new episodes and other projects. Thank you for all the ways you have supported this podcast. We want to continue to grow and highlight music therapy as another therapeutic option for the community. An easy way to make this happen is to share episodes with people in your circles and network. Let's work together to advocate for music therapy. Thanks again to Grant for being here today. Thank you listeners for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you.